Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Well, Sunday services is barely over before we're already beginning to think about Wednesday, and Wednesday will barely be over before we're thinking about Sunday. And and uh, so Sunday, as I begin to think about this service, and I wanted the Lord to just speak something to our heart. And uh, then this morning, I just sincerely ask the Lord to just give us something for tonight. Amen. Not just another message. I mean, we could go anywhere in the scripture and find something that would help us, encourage us, or strengthen us, but give us something pertinent for tonight. And uh, I believe the Lord has given me something, and so I just want to share it with you, and let's share it together. Amen. I can remember uh, in our earlier years of marriage, my wife did most of the cooking, and and I had a job, worked a lot of hours, and was uh, not able to really contribute to that a whole lot. And so always when the meal was done, she'd always say, now eat before it gets cold. And I didn't really think about, you know, the meaning of that until uh, through the years I've enjoyed cooking through the and uh, enjoy that still to this day. And so now I get it. The minute it's done, I want everybody to sit down. And let's do this before it gets cold. And what you're trying to say is I went to a lot of trouble for this. Get off the phone, <laughs> put down the book, stop what you're doing, amen. So I want to say tonight very gently, let's eat this while it's hot, amen. <laughs> so whatever you got going on in your world, whatever is waiting in your schedule, I feel like the Lord has given us something tonight, and so let's just let the hand of God speak to us. I want you to join me, if you will, in the book of Psalms, chapter 13, the 13th Psalm consist of six verses and so tonight we're going to just take our time and consider all six of those verses and I want to preach to you from with the help of the Lord from this thought the spirit of the age and there is a spirit of every age and I believe there is a spirit of this age and I want the Lord to help us the book of Psalms 13 and verse number one the Bible says how long without forget me O Lord Forever? How long without hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? I'm going to pause our reading here for now. Amen. David is perplexed. It's not hard to read this and figure that out. And he's asking the Lord some piercing questions. I think many times we've all said, I know we're not supposed to question God. But the truth of the matter is we all have questions. And I don't think it's wrong to question God. I think it's wrong to question God with the wrong spirit, the wrong attitude. And David is in a broken state of mind and heart. And uh, I think he asked some very pointed and fair questions. But he asked them with the right spirit. Amen. Let's pray over the word tonight. Lord, I love you and I thank you for the privilege that you've given us to be together. 
And I ask you one more time, Lord, to just move in our midst. This is a very familiar longitude and latitude for you because you meet us here every time we gather together. No matter what the title of our service or the meaning of our service or the purpose of that gathering may be, Lord, there's always such a sweet, sweet spirit here and tonight is not an exception to that. And so we ask you this evening to let your word find a place in our heart and let our heart wrap itself, God, around the importance of your word in Jesus' name. Amen, and you can be seated. So we have David here in Psalms 13 who was already anointed king of Israel. He was promised the throne. And yet it seems as though that that day of crowning was further and further away. There's a promise, but yet that promise is not coming into fruition. And so we find in the real world of David's world, in this real world setting, we find that Saul is just doing as many evil things as he possibly can. And it seems as though if we just place ourselves in David's sandals for just a moment, that God is not judging him at all. Here is David anointed king, but he's not the king. Here is the king, the anointed king Saul, that is doing everything within his power, including trying to kill David on more than one occasion. And it just seems as though the hand of God's judgment was not raining down. On the other hand, David was doing good things. He was doing what he thought was the right things, and yet when we just pull open the door of Psalms 13, we find him in a great spirit of despair, feeling abandoned and forgotten by the Lord. He said, how long will you forget me? Is it forever? Have you got, forgotten me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Or how long shall I take counsel in my soul? How long will I just keep talking to myself about this, having sorrow in my heart daily? And how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? I again think these are fair questions if we keep them in context as to where David was in his life. He was certainly disturbed by what the enemy was doing in his life and more concerned about really in, in, in his own weakened state of humanity, he was really more worried about what God wasn't doing, more so than he was worried about what his enemy was doing. Amen, I could ask for a showing of hands right now. We, we were honest, we would probably all have to lift our hands and say, we, we've been right there. How long is all of my good gonna be ignored and how long is the enemy gonna keep prevailing? Psalms six and three reveals a very transparent side of David. Here's what we read. He said, my soul is also sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? And so here is these repeated questions of how long? Where is the end of this? How long? That seems to be a very familiar phrase or a very familiar question in scripture. But in truth, I think we could say it's a very fair question and a very familiar question in life. When we enter into a storm, I think sometimes in my own humanity, at times I thought if I just knew when this was gonna end, if I just had an end date and I could prepare myself, if I knew when, in fact, we were at the zenith of all of this and we have peaked and now we are now the curve is starting to turn down, but how long, how long, Lord, how long? That's a familiar question. 
It's not a question limited to David, not a question limited to Psalms. In Revelation 6 and 10, we find that the saints made a very similar plea. They cried with a loud voice saying, how long, how long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood upon them that dwell on the earth? How long? When we're in trouble and when we pray for help, when we kneel in an altar of prayer and no help comes, when we stand in a healing line, but healing doesn't seem to come, when we pray for deliverance, but deliverance is withheld, or we pray for direction and we still feel hopelessly lost, we can feel in those moments very deserted. David, frankly, felt like God was deserting him, and he was very honest about that. He felt that God was hiding his face from him. In short, David felt abandoned. Feeling like he was left to himself, he tried to devise various things that he could do to try to change the circumstances or try to overcome the enemy within his own power, but he couldn't overcome the enemy. And as a matter of fact, he couldn't even do enough to make the, the, the needle tilt in a fashion that he thought that he was even gaining any ground because we can't claim to live by faith and then depend on our own strength. We can't claim to walk by faith and then try to muster up the ability to do it on our own, trying to use our own skills, natural abilities, or even past experience. Solomon said in the book of Proverbs chapter three and verse number five, he said, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. But that's a very difficult thing to do when you're in the throes of the battle. You're just trying to figure out an answer and I'm not suggesting at all that myself or anybody in this building is pretending that we're God or that we think we're God or that we think we're wiser than anyone else but it is just human tendency when something is wrong to try to fix it. Amen. But he said, trust in the Lord with all thine own, thy heart and lean not to thine own understanding because it's a very dangerous thing to think that we can solve our own problems. As a matter of fact, it's a dangerous thing to give in to our feelings because feelings can be wrong. Because feelings can be deceptive and feelings can be undependable. Jeremiah said, the writer Jeremiah said in 17 and nine, he said that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And then he makes this statement or question, who can know it? Who can know it? That's a very troubling passage of scripture if you ask me that our heart would be deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's why we can't just trust our feelings. We can't let our conscience be our guide. We can't lean to those wise tales or the old things that we think can serve as a guide and a guidepost in our life. The heart is deceitful. Genesis, uh, perhaps... Uh, in chapter 42 gives a tremendous illustration of this if we just go by feelings. If we think about Genesis 42, this is when Jacob, uh, this is when Joseph rather is in Egypt and he is king and he has held back uh, some of the brothers and now the brothers have, the other brothers have gone home to Jacob and when Jacob heard about Simeon being left as hostage in Egypt, he gave up and Jacob declared, that it's over. I mean, he already assumed that they were dead. And this is the end of my life. This is how the story ends. 
that's where we find him. I believe that's Genesis 42 and, and uh, around verses 36, 34, 5, or 6 in there. Genesis 42 for sure. But he is right there and he said it's all over. It's over. This is how the story ends. This is the final chapter of my life. He gave up and declared this is how it is. And in all fairness, if we could stop the story right there, we would agree. We would start consoling him. We would put our arms around him. We would try to comfort him because that's exactly what it looked like. However, if you know how the story ends, we know that God was not finished and this was not the final chapter. This was not the tell-all, end-all, that God was at work. But if we just freeze that moment and we look at this father and we consider his feelings in that moment, we would agree. That's why we can't trust our feelings. I'm not suggesting that we should deny our feelings, nor am I suggesting that we should pretend that everything's going well when it's not going well. But at the same time, I've got to realize that I, my feelings, my heart can deceive me. My feelings can deceive me. And so I need to understand that. In reference to Jeremiah 17 and 9 about the heart being deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, who can know it? If we just kind of end the story right there, that leaves us all feeling a little fragile and frail. But I want to encourage you with another passage of Scripture found in 1 John chapter 3 and 20. The Bible says, For if the heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. And so we say, well, we can't trust our heart because it can deceive us and it can let us down and our heart can be desperately wicked. So where do we turn? We turn to God because God is greater than our heart, according to John. Simply put, the Lord knows where we are and he knows that he knows what we're going through. He can, as I mentioned a service or so ago, he can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows exactly what it feels like to feel whatever we're feeling in the moment that we're living. And God has the ability to lift us up and above the emotional storms of our own lives. I'm thankful for the hand of God stepping into our life. A little audience participation right here. Amen. Has the Lord just ever stepped in your life and touched the storm that you were going through? In that moment, God just came on the scene. Amen. And he brought peace and he brought comfort and he brought, he brought a consolation because the Lord knew where we were and he lifted us above that storm. He gave us strength. Maybe it wasn't through raining and maybe the wind hadn't stopped howling, but in that moment, God lifted us up and refreshed us. Others of us can say about storms of life that we did prevail and that God did help us and sustain us through it all. Some were just a momentary test. Some of them were just moments or seasons, but other tests and trials have gone on for a lifetime. Maybe there are things that happened that changed somewhat the trajectory of our life, but the Lord knows and he understands and he can sustain us even in those moments. I believe that David, like many of us here this evening, eventually learned to place his trust in the Lord. I know I can put it there. I know it will be okay there. In Psalms 13 and one, He's asking how long, O Lord? But in Psalms 31 and 15, he says, my times, they're in your hand. How long, in one passage, how long is this gonna last? How long will I feel like this? But he come to understand that my time is in your hands. My life is in your hands and it's all gonna be all right. Amen. The book of Psalms 13 and verses three and four, David said, consider and hear me, O Lord, my God, Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. 
lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against him and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. I think it's a good thing to have peace within us but we also need to understand that there's a peace and a protection that's around us. Hallelujah. The Bible talks about Job who had a hedge about him. Others in scripture, we know that there were vast hosts of angels that were there to protect them. And so we need peace within, but I also need to understand that God has a way of building a wall of protection around me. And that's why David prayed to the Lord and he made three requests in these verses. The first thing he said was look on me. It was a simple request. Just fix your eyes on me. One writer said that David was inviting the Lord to scrutinize him, to just look into my eyes and look into my soul and my spirit. David felt that God had somehow hidden his face, but he wanted the Lord to turn his face one more time toward him. And then David's third, second request was this. He said, answer me. David desperately needed the Lord to send him some kind of encouragement. I'm preaching, I'm preaching to, to a lot of people here tonight that have had these moments in your life that you needed the Lord to send you some sort of encouragement. Amen. I appreciate the word of God. I appreciate the music and the singing. I appreciate the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. But there have been times we needed the Lord to do something tangible, physical in our lives to just remind me that you are with me. And I'm gonna tell you that more than one person in this building, more than a handful of people in this building have had those moments where God just did something and it was a reminder. It was just something that you and the Lord knew what was going on. This was the hand of God and it was the strength that we needed. It was the encouragement. It was the affirmation we needed. David felt that he had been deserted and that his prayers were accomplishing nothing. And so he said, Lord, I need you to look on me. And then thirdly, David said, I need you to enlighten mine eyes. Now this was not a random request because David understood a powerful principle. Psalms 19 and eight says, the statutes of the Lord are right. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And so David understood a principle. So when he said, enlighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, he was not just trying to sound poetic. He was saying, I know, Lord, that your statutes are right. And I know, God, that your commandments are pure. And I know that your word can lighten mine eyes. I pray tonight that the word of God can strengthen us. Hallelujah. This involved not only spiritual enlightenment, but I believe physical and emotional strength. I'm again going to say I'm preaching to men and women and not a few who have come to the house of God and you've been discouraged but you left encouraged. You have come to the house of God weak but you left strengthened. It wasn't just any one thing that we could put our hand on. We couldn't say well it was brother so and so and what he said or what sister so and so said or it wasn't this song or perhaps not even the message but there was something about the combination of the word and I'm going back to Psalms 9 19 and 8. There's something about the statutes of the Lord that are right. And there's something about the commandments of the Lord are pure, that are pure. And David said, those things enlighten mine eyes. And those things bring me strength. And so we come in weary, but we walk out with strength. We come in sometimes, maybe even almost disillusioned, but we walk out and we say, thank you, Lord, one more time for moving in my heart and moving in my mind and strengthening me again. Amen. Ezra 9 and 8, 
The Bible says that our God may enlighten or may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. That's what Ezra said. Lord, we're in bondage. We're in trouble. But I pray, oh God, that you would just step into the midst of our trouble. And I'm in bondage now, and I may be in bondage when you leave. But Lord, I pray that you can just send a little light into my eyes and give us a little reviving in the bondage. Praise God. I'm not trying to be cynical or negative here tonight, but I will tell you that everything is not cured with one prayer and one song and one sermon. And we may have walked into this building and away from a situation that we're gonna have to walk out of this building and back into. But while we're in the presence of the Lord, I say, Lord, let your word lighten my eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. Praise God. One songwriter said, lift me up above the shadows. Hallelujah. Just lift me up above the clouds and help me to see that the sun is shining. David, what David was really experiencing was this. He was experiencing a heavy cloud cover. He thought that the sun had hid itself, that the Lord had, was hiding himself. But no matter how dreary a winter season may be, the sun was there all along. And one of these days, the wind is gonna blow the clouds out of the way and the sun is not gonna resume its position. The sun's not gonna scurry back into its place. It's not gonna run and try to get back in line. It was there all along. It was there all along and so I say Lord, I join hands with Ezra tonight and I say oh Lord lighten our eyes. Amen. In the, in the spirit of this age enlighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. Praise God. Because when the body and the mind are weary, it's easy to get discouraged. Yes, sir. Amen. And David recognized the place that he was in was a very dangerous place. As a matter of fact, David realized that the place he was in was a deadly place. Enlighten mine eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. So David was acknowledging that I'm not just in a dangerous place, I'm in a deadly place. Enlighten mine eyes. He realized that that more is at stake here than just himself. He realized that he was the anointed king of Israel. And so if I sleep the sleep of death, then what's gonna happen to the throne of Israel? Now, I'm, I'm trying to come in tonight a little closer to our subject. Amen, as much as David was concerned about his own needs, what David was really concerned about was the kingdom of God, the throne of Israel. And I believe this evening that we ought to be concerned about our own spiritual welfare and that we ought to be concerned about the spiritual welfare of our family and that we ought to be concerned about the spiritual welfare of our church. Those things should simply go without saying. David was concerned about himself. We should be concerned about ourselves. But I would say this, that beyond being concerned about ourselves, what we need to think about is what David was thinking about. Enlighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Not to try to add to the scripture, but I believe that we could safely say, because if I die, what is gonna happen to the throne of Israel? And I believe tonight we could say, Lord, sustain me as an individual and sustain our family. And Lord, sustain our church. Because if we die, what's gonna happen 
happen to this community? What's gonna happen to the cities where we live? What's gonna happen to our friends and our neighbors? What's gonna happen to those that you have called us to influence? Hallelujah, because I don't believe the Lord just saved me and you to save you and I. I don't believe he just saved us to save us, but I believe he planted a light in a dark place. I believe that he planted a tree in a barren land. Hallelujah, and so I say, Lord, I gotta keep walking because somebody's depending on me. I gotta keep walking. I can't give in to the spirit of the age because there are others that need what I have. There are others that need what I know. There are others that need to experience what I have experienced. As much as David was concerned, he realized that there's something beyond me. After all, God had chosen David and commanded Samuel to anoint him king. And if David failed, then, then God's name and, the, and Israel is gonna be ridiculed. Psalms 13 and four says, lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against him. In short, David was saying, don't allow the enemy to gloat. I can't die. I don't want the enemy laughing. The latter portion of this verse says, and those, he said, don't allow the, lest my enemy say I have prevailed against him and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. The word moved means to waver or to be agitated or to totter or to shake. And so David was saying, I don't want the enemy to say I prevailed and I don't want those that trouble me to say I'm wavering or I'm tottering, teetering, I'm shaking. And so if David began to waver, then the faithful people of that land would think that God was unable to fulfill his own promises. And if God can't keep his own, what can he do in my life? And that's why I think it is imperative that we keep ourselves upright before the Lord and others. Because what's gonna happen if you waver? Amen. We should never forget that people are watching us walk. I'm not suggesting that we fake it till we make it. Nothing could be further from the truth. But I've also got to always realize the power of being a good witness. Somebody's listening to our response. Somebody's watching the way we're walking. Somebody's, somebody's measuring our faithfulness. And so we've got to be careful. Psalms 13 verses 5 and 6. The Bible says, But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. This is the same man. Ends chapter 13 and verse 6 that begins chapter 13 and verse 1 by saying how long. But he says, the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. Verse 5 begins with a small but powerful three-letter word. It's what we call in our English language a conjunction. It's the word that is used to transition and in this case, it indicates a transition from fear to faith because he started out by saying, how long? But now, but I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. It's an intersection that takes David from questioning God's power to claiming God's promises. It's a, it's a moment in time that shifts and it turns everything. David's feelings, in fact, had really been like us at times on a roller coaster, just up and down and all over the place. However, things he, however, he had come to understand two things: that God was still on the throne, and that God had not changed. 
My life is a mess. I've been anointed king. I remember the oil. I remember the moment. I remember my brothers and my father. And now I've seen all of this chaos break out of my life. I don't know when this is going to come to pass, but God is still on the throne and God has not changed. His mercy was really all that, uh, that David needed because he knew his mercy would not fail. Amen. I don't believe that we live on explanations truly. I believe that we live on promises because God doesn't always explain himself. And if you live for God any time at all, you know what I just said is the absolute truth. God doesn't always explain himself. And so we don't live on explanations. We stand on promises. And those promises are as unchanging as the character of God. Relying on the Lord, I believe, leads to rejoicing in the Lord. Verse six, David said, he has dealt bountifully with me. Now the word, the word bountiful focuses on the goodness of God. Another translation just says it like this, which is more how we would say it, the Lord has been mighty good to me. Amen. Can anybody join me with that? The Lord, the Lord has been good to me. David said he's built bountifully with me. That's not how we would probably say it in this day, but we would say the Lord has been so good to me. He has blessed us beyond our wildest imagination. I believe it's important to note something here that David's circumstances hadn't changed, but the Lord changed him. David was still in this mess. He was not anointed from verse six to first one, from verse one to verse six, somewhere in all of that. He was not elevated to the throne and now he is saying the Lord has dealt bountifully with, no. Amen, his circumstances didn't change but God just changed his heart and this occurred when David stopped looking at his feelings and trying to uh, do it all on his own and started walking by faith and looking to the Lord. So we have come this far this evening in our study and it brings us to a critical focal point in Psalms 13, David was pre David really and truly, if we could say this another way, David was pushing back against the spirit of his time. The spirit of his time was trying to press him into a dismal moment of how long is this going to be and I'm getting weary and I don't want to fall asleep. Amen. David was pushing back and if there's ever a moment that I believe the church in this age, the spirit of this age is to suppress and push down the voice of righteousness and the voice of authority, of spiritual authority. Amen. And I believe that David was pushing back against the spirit of his age. And I believe that the church is also standing at a very critical time. Because of that, I believe that we, the church, must be very intentional in our response to the hour in which we live or in our response to the spirit of the age. Amen. We're living in what the Bible refers to as perilous times. I don't believe there's anyone without any measure, with any measure rather of spiritual um, discernment that doesn't realize that we are living in perilous times, perilous times. We are facing an atmosphere that is unique at least to this church age. I realize that the church at large, if we read about the church at large, the church at large has faced many, many things, but you and I stand at a very critical intersection, and I think we can agree that as we look at the world stage, many things are already in place to usher in the second coming of the Lord. Amen. We're in a critical moment. We're in a very critical time. If you add to that the fact that we are living in a very superficial and shallow, spiritually superficial 
and, and spiritually shallow generation, then we can begin to see things coming into focus. Amen. We are living in perilous times. You have got your head deeply buried in the sand if you can't see that. You're in a great sense of denial if you can't see that. We're living in a closing hour, a very uh, uncertain time in many, many respects. And so when we begin to think about that and we think about the shallow nature spiritually of our generation and the superficial attitude of our generation. Amen. And so you can begin to see where we really are in the full scheme. In our text, David faced a spirit of weariness. Enlighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. I don't think David was physically tired and worried about falling asleep, but he was spiritually tired and worried about losing the battle and what's going to happen to the throne of Israel. He recognized that the spirit of the age had to be dealt with or it's going to overcome him. And in like fashion, I believe that we're facing a very similar spirit in our world. If you look again at the world stage in a practical sense, you would think, I believe that you can talk to the average person on the street and they realize something is in the air. There's, there's something going on. I'm not just talking about the price of fuel and not just talking about, uh, I'm not just talking about the price of groceries and, and the things of that nature, the cost of living. But I believe that on a larger, in a larger way, people that don't even know a lot about the spirit, amen, of the Lord, realize there's something that's shaking and there's something that's moving. So that being said, you would think people in general could and would indeed see that these perilous times are not coming. They're here. We're not talking about something that we need to prepare for. This is the day and the moment that we're living in. And so given that information, you would think that every house of worship around the world would be filled to capacity. You would just think that in a practical way. I'm not being cynical. I'm not being critical. I'm just saying in a very pragmatic way, you would think if you stop people on the street and they think, man, there's something going on. There's just something in the air. And yet that doesn't take them to the house of worship. That doesn't take them to the house of God. No matter what sign is over the door. I'm not just talking about apostolic churches. I'm talking about churches in general. You would think there wouldn't be a parking place left. There wouldn't be a seat left in the house. It would be standing room only and there would almost be a mob effect if somebody said, let's all stand to be dismissed. It's perilous times. Don't stop preaching, preacher. It's perilous times. Don't stop singing, singer. It's perilous times. Don't stop praying, prayer warrior. Amen, you would think that would be the response of our age, but it seems more and more that we're seeing the opposite of that. Amen, and again, I believe that this should cause a stir among us because the Bible talks about the last days and then compares those last days as it was in the days of Noah. Amen, so shall it be. As it was in the days of Noah, so let's think about the days of Noah. Amen, so shall it be the coming of the son of man the bible says before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that noah 
entered into the ark. Now I think that is alarming. Amen. We ought to just pause and let that soak in for just a moment. Amen. That they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. And it's not just talking about eating and drinking in marriage. Amen. It's just talking about they were living it up. It was just whatever. Amen. Let's just have a good time. Let's just do whatever it takes to fulfill ourselves until they were doing this until the day that Noah entered the ark. Amen. And then the rest of that scripture says, and they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. Now, that is a fascinating passage of scripture if you ask me. Amen. If you think about that in context, the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2, Two and verse number five. Simon Peter refers to Noah as the eighth person. Amen. The eighth person. What that means is that Noah, amen, was the last person to get on the ark. It was he and his family. There were seven others that marched on to that ark onto that ark. Amen. Noah was the eighth or the last person of his family to enter the ark. And so we could say they knew not until Noah got on the ark and how tragic that would be. But there were a lot of things that should have reminded them that something's going on. I realize it had been a long time since they heard the first tree fall to the ground as the wood began to be prepared for the building of that altar. I realized that centuries had gone by, one century after another, after another, after another, and one generation had fallen away and another come along from the time the first board was cut and the first time everything was put in place or that ark began to take shape. It was a long time from that moment but there were several things that were happening around them. They had grown so accustomed to that ark slowly being built, just so gradually being built until they thought nothing about it. Can you imagine that they ignored the completion of the ark? Can you imagine there were generations that ignored the loading of the animals? Can you imagine there were generations that were not saying what meaneth these animals' nature that's been changed from wild and untamed to those that could just walk up a plank and load on the ark on their own? There were a lot of signs. I'm talking about the spirit of the age, but somebody said amen you know look over there I see lions and lambs laying together and somebody didn't say hey God must be in this thing and somebody said hey let's go fishing and they all went fishing or let's marry and they went to marry or let's all drink and be happy and they all ignored the things that were all around them I'm telling you today that there's some things just that blatant and some things just that bold we can't look around our world and say what about that and then ask ourselves am I going to pray today? Am I going to go to church today? Am I going to look out the window and see all the things that are shaking in our world and then decide whether or not I'm going to worship when I get to church or I'm going to participate? Oh my goodness, it's the spirit of the age that says sleep. It's the spirit of the age that says slumber. It's the spirit of the age that says fold your arms. Everything will be alright. But I've come to the pulpit with the help of the Lord tonight to lift the trumpet to my lips and say we need to shake ourselves we need to wake ourselves and we need to push back against the spirit of the age. We've got to push back. We've got to push back. 
David said, enlighten mine eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. What David was really worried about was not just David. He said, what about the throne of Israel? I'm gonna tell you where the church ought to be. We ought not just be worried about me and my four. We ought to be worried about what happens if the church closes its doors. What happens if the lights go out? What's gonna happen to my family? What's gonna happen to my friends? What's gonna happen to the prodigals? Somebody must stand and push back against the spirit of the age. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. We're not careful. We'll get pompous and arrogant in our spirit as we read through Genesis. And wonder how in the world did they ignore all these signs? And that generation could come down and judge us tonight for ignoring signs like that and greater. The spirit of the age. That same thing is happening in our world. Things shaping and molding. But I'm going to tell you something. Some people grew up to the sound of the hammer and nail. They grew up to the sound. They grew up to the idea of Mr. Noah and his family building on the ark and it just become part of the community. And it didn't stir them until the rain came. You had to ignore a lot if you waited till the rain. You had to ignore a whole lot if you waited till the rain. I'll ask our musicians to come if you will. We are pressing against the spirit of lethargy in our day. There is a spiritual weariness that's plaguing the world in which we live. There is an alarming fascination with the world's pleasures. Can I just pass for a moment? I'm just going to say as a shepherd that just because we can doesn't mean we should. Just because we could be out of church for a weekend or not preaching against vacations or get getaways. Don't everybody grab your Bible and children get up and run. But just because we can be away is no sign that we should be away. Because the throne of Israel might need us. And people have forgotten our responsibility to the throne of Israel. It got just as quiet as I thought it might. But it's still true. That I have a responsibility. So I don't have any responsibility. I'm not a musician, singer, Sunday school teacher. I'm not this. Oh, wait. Responsibilities don't begin and end with titles. Responsibilities begin and end with the Holy Ghost. So just because we can doesn't mean we should. Just because we have the ability to say no to participating in something doesn't mean that we should say no because we should be worried about the throne of Israel. David wasn't really worried about him. 
He was worried about them. And that's where we should find ourselves, not just worried about us. Am I spiritually okay? We need to ask, what about others around us? Are they spiritually okay? Amen. Paul certainly was not using a, or perhaps even indulging in figures of speech when, when he wrote this, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers in the heavens. That's, that's what we're, there's, there's a heavenly pressure. There's a spiritual power that's pushing. And we can't roll over. We got to stand and push back. And say, enlighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. We got to shake ourselves in the spirit of lethargy. And, and as a church, we may find ourselves plagued by some strange stupor. And I think we should understand the spiritual implications of that. And I, I'm not one to try to spiritualize everything. I, I think sometimes a flat tire is just because you had 93,000 miles on the tires. <laughs> Probably 43,000 over. I think that was grace. It had nothing to do with hell. Another spiritual thing. But I do believe that sometimes we ignore things that are spiritual. That sometimes we feel this spirit of just roll over and go back to sleep, so to speak, and we need to realize this is the enemy. I've got to get up. I've got to do something. I, when you feel too tired to pray, pray. That may be the spirit of the enemy trying to suppress an intercessing, an interceding voice right there. When you feel too tired to worship, that's when you should worship on, press on. You know what? There have been times... I haven't done it many times through the years, but there have been times I've started preaching and you just feel just such a pushback and I've just stopped and said, so we need to pray right now. We need to just stand. There's no sense in me standing here battling this out by myself. I need you to join with me and there's a spirit of frustration that's just trying to move and manipulate what God is wanting to do. So let's just stand and amen, let's just push back against this a little while. Amen, let's push back against this a little while. And so I'll ask you to literally stand with me tonight. And I'm asking you to help me. Amen, why don't we agree that we're just gonna push back against this spirit. Amen, when you feel too tired to participate, you know what you ought to do? Participate anyway. When you're too tired, when you're too tired to press on, press on. Having done all to stand, 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 stand. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.